Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Let's get ready to rumble! Morrell takes the ball, looking inbound, loops it far up court for George, who catches it, turns around, shoots, and he got it! Welcome, Husky fans, to another edition of the Gamble Grind Podcast. I'm Steven Sanzari, and I'm joined alongside my good pal, Ben Dezonier. Uh Today's episode, we will be previewing the matchups against USC and NC State, and also looking back at the CCSU game and the Hartford game. So uh, I guess the best place to start with this episode is to just shun Ben for his horrible Josh Carlton prediction of being the team's leading rebounder. <laughs> that was just not a good, uh, not a good call there. Uh, I guess Hurley caught you off guard, not starting him, and not playing him in the Hartford game. So, uh, what would you like to say about that, Ben? In my defense, the last time Josh Carlton did not start at center for the Huskies was his freshman year in a February twenty ninth game against no February twenty eighth game against Temple. Okay, so we're talking about he's been three years as the starting center. Now, did I, I I went on record saying that I did not think that he would be starting by the end of the season. I, I had a feeling that Sonogo and Whaley would outplay him. But you did say that. I I I, I guess I'm gonna wear this one wrong, you know. He played he played three minutes against Central in a blowout, didn't even get really any garbage time, and then Hartford didn't even get off the bench. So I guess he's just like not even remotely in the rotation right now he's he's at the end of the bench with springs and uh javante brown i it's surprising a little bit but i don't know i mean i there i think there might be a role for him eventually but i i'm willing to wear this one as wrong for those of you that shouted me out on twitter too for that horrible prediction i i will wear that 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 was that was a bad one wow Hey, you know something? I'm looking good right now. I mean, Isaiah Whaley's averaging eight and a half rebounds right now. He had a double-double last game. I-, I think I'm looking good with the Isaiah Whaley pick. I mean... Long season uh, ahead. Long season I- ahead. It's a long season, but I- I'm feeling confident about my pick. But I- I'm still shocked. I mean, I'm shocked with the uh, the play or the no play by Josh Carlton. I-, I haven't been the biggest supporter of Josh Carlton over the years. Um, but I-, I really didn't see him not playing in the Hartford game and I did not see I thought I really thought he was going to start in the opening game I mean everything let led up to him starting the game I mean just based on the, the previous season it's just kind of a shocker to me that Josh Carlton has fallen this far back in the rotation and, and just not even not even in the rotation he's just he's not an option I, I, I it should be interesting to see if that changes in the next week with these two matchups but Man, I kind of—it's kind of sad to see a guy completely kind of fall off like that. We knew that someone was going to have to be the odd man out. I mean, you can't play twelve guys consistently. Um, but like, I think everyone kind of assumed that Brown and Springs would probably take a back seat for minutes. 
But I, I don't think anyone really saw this coming for Carlton. I, pretty surprising to see the such a drastic decrease in usage. I, I not that I'm saying it, it's wrong. Like I mean, obviously, I very much trust Hurley, and I, Carlton has given UConn fans fits for the last two years, wondering why he can't take his game to the next level. So it's not exactly surprising. It's surprising only because of the big role that he has played throughout his time here at UConn to this point. But it's not surprising in terms of the other guys are probably just that much better. And it's only going to get worse for him once a cook a cook comes back in the mix. I mean, is it crazy to say that Brown or Springs outplays him in minutes this year? I mean, I I think I, I, I'm starting to see that are starting to feel that maybe these guys are going to get a better chance at playing than Carlton. It just, I, I, I know neither neither three of those guys played in the Hartford game, but still, I, I, I have a feeling that as the season goes on, we're going to probably see more of Springs and very little of Brown. Obviously, he's very raw, but I think it's a little. I think it's a little early to say that, just because Brown and Springs they've got multiple years of eligibility ahead. Carlton's a senior. Carlton's been through the battles. If Isaiah Whaley or Sonogo get into foul trouble, like Carlton's coming off the bench. It's not going to be – I mean, Javante and, and Richie, they, both of them seemed – I mean, they, they had their flashes in, in the CCSU game when they played, but both of them seemed a little Bambi-ish, I guess you could say, a little deer in headlights. Like, so I, at least you know with Carlton, he's been through the battles. He's been through the wars. He's definitely that next guy, I think, in terms of, if those minutes ever became available that he would get them. It's just in it's interesting now that we know more of where guys are gonna play. We saw a little bit of Tyrese Martin playing some stretch four, which he never did at uh URI. I think Isaiah Whaley playing he he's done a great job to this point playing the five, albeit against teams that are smaller and not necessarily normal size like big east caliber big men, but I think he's done a really good job and that's played a role in the fact that Carlton's just completely found his way out of the rotation. Yeah. While we're on the uh, the topic of minutes and, and how people are being divvied up, I, my biggest complaint so far with these two games, and uh, it's obviously we're early on here with these two games, but I, I haven't been too much of a fan of how Hurley has handled how certain guys get certain minutes. Uh, obviously, you have guys like Booknight. Uh, who were we talking about? Booknight, uh, Whaley. And I think Cole and Gaffney, where they, I feel like they're getting a lot, a lot of minutes, and they deserve it. They are probably the best, best of the best on this team currently, right? But I, and especially in the Hartford game, I felt like they didn't rotate enough with the guys. I feel like they left certain guys in for a period, a long period, and then we didn't, we didn't see enough of other guys. We didn't see the potential. Obviously, there was some foul trouble. We had guys with two, a lot of guys with two or three fouls, but still, I mean. I was kind of disappointed that we did not see uh, Andre Jackson or we didn't see uh, a lot of who else was I what was I talking about? It was it was Jackson and um, Sonogo. Yeah, Sonogo. I, why didn't we see? I felt like at times Whaley was a little bit struggling out there. Why didn't we see? Why didn't we see Sonogo and see what he's got? I'm sure he's a freshman, but I mean, let's let's see what we got. We got all this depth. We talk about all this depth. Let's see what it what it plays like in a real game. It's Brendan Adams played a lot of minutes the other he's night. One, yeah. And and he's, you know, 
he struggled, I think, a lot, not, not just offensively, but defensively as well. And I think Hurley gave him a little bit of a longer leash, probably because he's an older guy. But Andre Jackson, he had three fouls in the first half in five minutes. And I know Hurley wasn't happy with his defense and growing pains and learning, and he doesn't want to make it easy on him. He did the same thing with Book Knight early in the year last year. And, and I get it. But I just would have liked to see him get a little bit more run in the second half, especially, like you said, when, when things seemed like they were stalling a little bit. And uh, Tyler Polly was on the bench for long stretches because of foul trouble. And I don't know. It just seemed like the, maybe we could have sh- shook things up a little bit. I mean, we still won the game. We won comfortably. But it, it, there was a the first 10 minutes of the second half, I mean, we probably – I think we only scored like seven points. Like we just – offensively, we were out of sorts. And I didn't feel like we, did, we didn't do a lot to change it up. Well, in that Hartford game, if there if there was fans in that game, the uh, the Gamble crowd would have been standing for a very long time. I believe it took them, like you said, I think it took them seven minutes to score a basket or something something like that, or even a point. I think the first ba- the first point was a free throw in the in the second half of the Hartford game. This, I I, I just it just frustrates me, and I, I've seen people complain about Brendan Adams online, and I like Brendan Adams, but he he obviously got way too much playing time in that Hartford game. Uh, he just wasn't. I feel like his role on this team is just better if he comes in in small stretches, gives you a little boost on the offensive side, and and then he goes back to the bench, and then somebody else comes in for him. I mean, I I just I don't think you could. I don't think this team is in a position to play him uh, 20, 20 something minutes a game. I think he played in in he's averaged so far twenty five minutes in these two games. I just I think that's way too much for a guy like Brandon Adams, and I, I like I just don't want to bash him, but he's just too much for for that. I would be I'm fine with Brendan. Like I like Brendan Adams's game, admittedly, like being the hustle guy, and I kind of figured that he would be more of the guy finding the odd man out in terms of minutes, though, and less it being like Andre Jackson or Sonogo or Carlton, um, just simply because we have so many guards. But to this point, we've played a lot of four lineups with either four wings and I don't know it, he's definitely not he's definitely got a place on this team he, he he fits well on this team but it he tries to do a lot of things that almost you almost feel like are a little bit outside of his skill set or outside of his comfort comfort zone if that makes sense yeah no I, I can agree with that I, I definitely agree with you on the point that he just does way too much I, I think he's a nice guy he shoots Comes in, shoots a couple threes, maybe gets a couple a layup or two, and then he goes to the bench. Like he's just the, he's just that kind of guy. I, why? I mean, if you're going to give him all the minutes, I, I, why don't you give a guy like uh, like a Jackson or or a Martin? I, I'd rather see Martin get more playing time than him. I, I I think Martin ended up playing 25 minutes in that game as well. But I, I mean, you those are better options at, at, for long periods of time. I, I it just it was just fun. that was. What frustrated me the most about the Hartford game? Turning things over to CCSU and Hartford, do we have any reactions on uh, what are your thoughts from the game on against CCSU last Wednesday? It's it was the opener, and you really can't put much into it, especially in a year like this where they didn't have as much practice time. Obviously, with the positive test on the team, it's I I was okay with it. Obviously, it was a little sluggish at times, but overall, I was I was. I was okay with the performance, definitely, but there's still things with this team that the thing that that glares to me the most, and I think a lot of UConn fans would agree with this, is 
in a game when things start going bad, like they have a, a dry spell or something, I, even though Book Knight is uh, a player of the year candidate, he's one of the best players we've had in a, in a very long time. To me, he just doesn't scream like the go-to guy. Like in those games, like when things go bad, I, I don't feel like he's the guy that's going to save us. You, you know, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I feel like there's still, especially in the Central and the Hartford games, you just still, you don't see that guy that steps up. I think on this team, a guy that could be that role is RJ Cole because he's a scoring, scoring point guard. But overall, I mean, I was okay with the Central game. It's It's very hard to gauge a lot from such an early game on. Just commenting on your book night thought. I mean, personally, I think he's come a long way from last year to this year in terms of like owning this as like his team and in a similar way that Vital did last year. You know, um, I, I think he he's going to change your mind in terms of that. I think yeah, you're at the by the end of the season, by midway through the season, you're going to feel like all right, this is the guy I want the ball in his hands at the end of the game. He's going to take us to victory. I think that Hurley is pushing him to be that guy and to get to that level. I, I think that if he wants to be an NBA first-round draft pick and by the end of the year, which seems like that that is the goal and by the from the coaching staff and for him, he's got to become that player by the end of the year. So I have confidence that he will. And and I think that James Booknight is every bit as good as advertised, and I, I don't I don't see that being an issue as the season goes along. In terms in terms of the central game, the one thing that just uh, and and I I know many people attributed it to rust and and first game of the season and giving up seventy five points to Central Connecticut is unacceptable, especially a team that prides itself on playing D the way that Dan Hurley's teams do, and, and nobody on, on nobody on Central even over six seven. I mean, we had way more size than them, more athleticism. It was obvious from the tip. Central made some threes in the first half, were able to hang around, but. That that was a team. I mean, they they had no they had, there was no business that that game should have even been close in the first half. And giving up forty one points in the first half to Central seventy five for the game that that's just too many. Yeah, defensively they did struggle. I mean, they they kind of struggled in both games defensively at times. But uh, you know, they still I feel like they give up way too many threes or too many like looks like they break down on defense way too much. I don't know, like you said, if it's rust or if it's. Uh, if it's just they play over aggressive and 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 it ends up leaving a guy open somewhere, but defensively they're gonna have to tighten up, and that's I think Hurley is gonna definitely get him to that point. I mean, he's always put a lot of emphasis, especially with his URI teams, on on playing a great great defense. So I, again, it's it's only the first game of the year, so maybe it's 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 hard to overreact on on something like that. But one thing that I think is pretty cool about the Central Connecticut game is that four of the five starters uh, scored double digits. Yeah, you had Book Booknight with twenty. You had Cole with seventeen, Polly with fourteen, and and Whaley with twelve. I think that's a that was pretty impressive to me. I, I it's always great to see your your starters getting double digit points. And and I don't know. I mean, other than that, I, you can't really take much from this game, right? I mean, I loved what I saw in this game from Andre Jackson in terms of a competitive standpoint. I loved what I saw. Um, from Sonogo with his touch around the basket and his rebounding ability. I, I think that, that those two things, made, that made me really excited for not only this season, but for the future. You know, Jackson had, in only 19 minutes, he had six assists. I mean, he's a guy, he sees the floor well. He's a pretty good passer. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what those guys can bring 
to the team for the rest of the season. All right, so we'll turn the page, I guess, and we'll look at Hartford, uh, the game that was played on last Friday. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that game? I mean, it was a very interesting game for long stretches of that. Well, obviously, UConn came out of the gun. Specifically, James Booknight came right out of the shoot, and we it took it took it right to Hartford. I believe Booknight scored like 14 out of the first 18 points for UConn. He was hitting every every shot. They UConn jumped out to a 36 to 17 lead early, but they never like really stepped on their throat. Like they never really like kept the game going and. They stopped, they stopped being as aggressive. I think things got complacent. There was foul trouble all over the place. Uh, I'm looking at the Ken Palm stats right now. They had like seven or eight guys with at least three fouls. I mean, that is so many fouls. I, I just think that it was an ugly game, and I think after they jumped out to the big lead early, I think a lot of them got a lot of the guys got complacent. And I know Hurley wasn't too happy about it post game, and. Uh, Hopefully they get that straightened out before this week because we, we can't have a great start like that and then play like we did the rest of the game because we'll, we'll lose to USC and we'll lose to NC State. Yeah, they obviously they hit a they hit like a brick wall in the middle of the first half. I I I, I just there's just certain things about that game that just bother me all around. Yeah, I saw a lot of UConn fans complaining about the refereeing in that game, and yes, it was not very good. But at the same time, UConn just does in these first two games, they do things very sloppy and it could be rust. It, we, we, we've talked about it, but I'm not a hundred percent sold on that. I think these guys need more playing time. They need, they need to play in real games to get to that point. And it just, I don't know. It, certain things like even Cole at times, he, he, he gets a little lazy with passes. He turns the ball over and I don't know, it, it, especially another thing I wanted to bring up is that, the rebounding wise, I mean, they they don't they only out rebounding them by what four? I, for a team like Hartford, I feel like you gotta you you gotta you gotta still out rebound some of these low major teams. You gotta you gotta just do the easy work, I, I guess, and just and put yourself in a good spot. I, I don't know this this it at times it just felt like they didn't really care, and that was alarming to me just watching it. I think that a lot of the problem with the way that they played had to do with their. They hadn't a lot. They have a lot of guys who haven't played together for for long stretches. I mean, there are a lot of guys adding. I mean, Tyler Polly didn't play the whole second half of the year last year when a lot of these guys started to try to like develop a little bit of a chemistry. Sonogo and Jackson are new. Tyrese Martin is new. So you do you have a lot of new pieces thrown into the mix, and our chemistry just not not in terms of like togetherness, but in terms of like chemistry on the court just seems a little bit off. You know, I, I would love to see them play another game or two, um, hopefully before conference play starts. I mean, depending on how this week goes, just because I, I would love to see them get as much time on the floor together as we can so that when we're rolling into conference play and we're rolling into these Power 5 games next week, that we'll be ready for that level of competition. It'll be full speed ahead and it won't be trying to feel each other out because it seemed like how it was a little bit, especially in the second half on Friday. Yeah, I mean, obviously they have a lot of new pieces. They have a lot of young guys on this team, but there's still there's still guys that have played a lot of college basketball for this team. Obviously, are are been around a lot. Uh, Tyler Polly played not played awful in that game, and he's you know he's a senior. I, I would expect more from him. At least you know maybe maybe he doesn't have the best game, but still he just did sloppy things. He was causing a lot of foul, um, getting called for a lot of fouls. I don't know. Even Booknight, 
we talked about it earlier on. He, at times, he looks, you know, he's the best player on the court in most of these games, in my opinion. I think he's he's one of, if not the best player in the Big East, right? He, at times, looks like he's so great, and then we lose him. It's like it's like he's lost, or he, he becomes frustrated, and that that concerns me, because even though you might not have the best game, you don't want it to rub off on other players. And sometimes I feel that with Book Knight. And this is something, like you said, maybe he's going to grow out of. And, and it's just going to take time. And we just have to grow. We have to go with the growing pains. But I don't know. It, it's, it was just, to me, this Hartford game is something we just throw away. We, we never talk about it because it's just, it, it reminded me a lot of some of the Ollie teams and even some of the, uh, the, the bad games that they played last year. One of the things that, on UConn Twitter that has been debated a lot over the last couple of days has been the thoughts about our 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 strategy so far in terms of out of conference scheduling. There are some UConn fans that after especially after the Vandy game got canceled and it was announced that UConn wasn't going to be adding a game in its place at, at the Mohegan Sun bubble. There are some concerns and I would say that I'm definitely in this in this group from some UConn fans that we're not being aggressive enough in our non-conference scheduling and I, in that they're relying too much and, and people are too comfortable with that. They think that we're going to have a really good season in the Big East, which is, I get that everyone's excited about this team, but the Big East is a step up in competition from what we've been playing in the American for the last few years. And one of the big concerns I have is even if we, let's say we split and we're talking way hypothetical now because we're talking about games that haven't happened yet, Let's say we split this week at Mohegan, right? Three, if we don't add any more out-of-conference games, if we have a 10-10 or an 11-9 season in the Big East, which let's just say it now, that's a pretty good season. Like, that is a good season. Nobody, if you go 10-10 or 11-9 in the Big East, like, that, that's nothing to sniff at, right? But if we take that along with a 3-1 and out-of-conference record with two of those three wins being against plus 300 Ken Palm teams, I, I just don't know if a 13-11 and or 14-10, and like, is that getting us in the NCAA tournament? I'm just not sure. It's, it's going to be very tough how they determine how the NCAA is going to be seeded and how, what, what, what the parameters are going to be with all these games getting canceled and all that. But we're on the same, I'm on the same page with you. I think UConn has been very lax with the scheduling. I I think this team, and we've we've talked about it a lot in this podcast. They need time together. They need to be on the court. They don't need practice. They've been practicing, with, with the exception of when they tested positive. They've been practicing probably since mid what mid June. We've been saying they were one of the first Division One teams to go back to practice in some you know in some capacity, but. I, these guys need to play Division One basketball. You know, Cole hasn't played Division One basketball in two years, right? We have a lot of young guys. They need to play competition. They need to be out there. And I just don't see why anybody thinks it's just okay to just like blow it over and say, oh, you know, don't worry about it. You know, we got the Big East. We don't need to schedule out of conference. I mean, that's to me, that's just a crazy idea. Like, you need, I feel like, and I feel like Hurley is on the same page with them. I feel like they're being, too uh, conservative in, in in how they're scheduling games. They need to go out there and they need to go get another game too after these Mohegan games. I mean, they just it's it, it, I just don't see how the team gets better if they don't play a lot. If they don't play a couple more games going into Big East play. And I know what some people are going to say, right? And 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 I've had this talk with Pete with UConn fans on Twitter, and it's that some of them have good points. You know, like, 
oh, at the end of the day, Hurley feels like he needs more practice than like it would be worth it than than it being worth like adding another game. Okay, like that f- fine. Like if that if that's what he thinks is best, fine. But when we come to the end of the season and we miss the NCAA tournament again by like a game or we're right on the bubble, right? And it was like we couldn't have grabbed one more good, decent out of conference game or like two more. We can schedule up to seven out of conference games. Like these wins, even though they just seem insignificant, it's like, oh, who cares about a stupid win over Iona or who cares about a win over Bryant or who like it it matters at the end of the year because in terms of setting yourself apart from the competition, if now if we roll through the big east, we go fifteen and five, like, yeah, it's not gonna matter. I know that. Everyone knows that. But I just think it's kind of silly for us to rely on the fact that that's going to happen given what we've seen from the team the last couple of years and not being able to really live up to the expectations that, that we as UConn fans have for them. Well, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We're all big UConn fans here, right? You, me, and the people on Twitter. But uh, we can't say with a straight face that we're going to roll through this biggie schedule right now. I mean, we finished 10-8 and eight in the American last year. There is no guarantee that we're going to go in there and we're going to play, you know, we're going to play the best. We're going to play like the old UConn, the UConn that was in the Big East 10 years ago. It, there's no guarantee of that. So why risk it? it just in case you have a couple of hiccups in there and maybe you, 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 pat in the win, you pat up the, the schedule or you pat up your, uh, your, your overall record with some of these, you know, mid major or low major teams. I, it's still, and it gets you more playing time. I, I don't see the point. I don't, I personally don't see the argument. Like I, I, I know you said they make some good points and I, I guess they are, but I just, I can't get there with that. I just, I don't like that idea. I don't like that thought process because to me, then it comes off kind of like you don't think, or at least from Hurley's like a stance, right? It doesn't make me feel comfortable that you think this team's at a spot where they can win right now. Cause I mean, I, I if they don't do well early on, then I don't, I don't see how they can make the NCAA tournament. I, I think I can't, they can't dig themselves a hole like they've been doing the last couple of years and then re- relying on miracle runs to even come close to being on the bubble. But enough talking about that. Let's take a look ahead at the Mohegan Bubble and the games, the upcoming games for UConn. So I'll let you start, Ben, with uh, your little preview to the USC game. Before we I get into the USC game, I think for a little background for some UConn fans that don't know much about the uh, Mohegan Bubble, they're, they're calling it Bubbleville. Um, it's been run from November 25th through uh, the last game will be our NC State game on Saturday, December 5th. It's been a great success of... 11 days at Mohegan Sun with tons and tons of teams who are flying in from all over the country and they're staying in this bubble to try to get their games in without having COVID interruptions. And outside, I believe I saw on Twitter today, outside of a few teams who have had um, positives at their initial screenings when they get to Mohegan Sun, nobody has contracted COVID or tested positive after these initial screenings during their stay. And I think Mohegan Sun has just done a great job getting these teams in, getting the games in, having good, safe basketball. Um, And I think that they've really showed that this can be a workable solution for conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament and down the road. I think it's been pretty fun to watch. There's been some great games, and teams who have gone there who have planned to play one or two games have ended up staying longer and playing three or four games like Villanova and uh, Virginia and uh, NC State just added another game. Uh, Florida just added another game. So, I mean, there's a lot of teams that have 
been trying to get into the bubble. And Mohegan Sun said multiple times that their phones have been ringing off the hook trying to get games. So that part of it has been pretty cool and has been, um, I think, pretty awesome for college basketball in general and Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. But these the, the ability for these players to come to Connecticut and these coaches and they come here, they get, they test, they go, they have the practice in, uh, they have practice gyms inside their uh, event centers. Um, they've got the, the Bubbleville court inside Mohegan Sun Arena. The players never have to go into the casino part of the uh, Mohegan Sun. They stay in their hotels. They take the elevators, go from the hotels to the arena, to the practice facility, to where they get their team meals. They're completely separated. I just think it's, a real great thing for college basketball and kudos to Mohegan sun for accomplishing what I think a lot of people in the beginning were really skeptical of. Do you think that this leads to them hosting an NCAA tournament somewhere down the road? I, Cause that's what I feel. I feel like that's kind of the reason maybe why they did this. I think it's possible. I think the capacity limits at Mohegan sun make it a little bit of a borderline um, for an NCAA tournament, but I think that they've definitely proven that they, they could, they could definitely be a candidate for hold, hosting it down the line. I feel like they've deserved it. I think it's a great place to host it. Obviously, they have everything. They got the arena, the hospitality, all that stuff that they that the NCAA wants for the NCAA tournament. But, anyways, so we look so look ahead. What do you what do you think about this USC game? So USC opened the season with an overtime win over Cal Baptist and a, like a ten point win over Montana. So they were looking pretty. I would say pretty gettable in the beginning. Now, at the time, we were looking for our first game being Vandy, so we weren't looking too far ahead. But now that we know we are playing them, the other night when BYU came and played USC on Tuesday, USC drummed them. Maybe by 26, they they controlled the game for the whole duration. Um, The Mobley brothers, Evan and Isaiah Mobley for USC, just absolutely dominated on the glass and really exposed BYU's size. And I, I think that that's going to kind of be a little bit of a matchup problem for UConn, having bigs that are just as athletic, not as athletic as the Mobley brothers and Mobile. And uh, Evan Mobley's their best player. He averages almost uh, 17 points per game and nine rebounds. So he's just been an absolute beast for them early on in the season. I, I see this. I, I, Isaiah Whaley will probably have the coverage from the from the beginning on him, but I, I got to imagine that he's going to struggle. I, I think that this is a tough matchup for UConn, and I, don't, I really don't know. Short of a Cook, but a Cook won't be back yet. Who, who's going to match up well with this guy? Yeah, that's. I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't fully watching to be honest with everyone. I, I had it on in the background, but the thing I noticed when they were playing BYU the other day at Mohegan is that they are big and that's something that UConn hasn't seen early on here. Obviously uh, central Connecticut was not big at all. And Hartford had some bigs, but you know, that it's that level. We're not talking about a power five conference level uh, opponent. So, I mean, that's the concerning thing for me about this USC team or this USC game. It, it, I I think what Hurley's going to have to do is somehow get, you know, Whaley's going to have to play well. Uh, and I, I think you're going to have to see them rely on a guy like Sonogo or one of these other forwards that they, they're going to have to play great for them to win this game. I'm not, I'm not going into this game thinking that they're, I, I've seen some people think that, oh, we're going to, we're going to beat them or whatever. I, I mean, I, I don't say that they're going to lose to USC. I think they have a shot at beating them, but 
I think that matchup height-wise is going to be very interesting to see how UConn handles it this early in the season. Their lead guards for USC so far have been Drew, uh, Drew Peterson and Taj Eddy. They've played about seven or eight guys pretty consistently early in the season. Um, so it, it, they, they don't go too deep. Um, but uh, Taj Eddy, a little fun fun connection, is actually from West Haven, Connecticut. So that's a little, little fun connection UConn fans can watch out for in that game. You know, in terms of predictions for this game, this is a tough one for me. This really is because – I, I think UConn was riding some momentum after the first two games and the first two wins, and now they've had some extra rest and some some extra practice before their uh, before their first game. Uh, UConn fans know that we love practice, so um, <laughs> I'm going to say close UConn victory. I think it's going to be a tight ball game. I think it's going to be a. I think the the we're going to get beat up on the backboard a little bit, but I, I'm going to say our guard play uh, pulls us out in this one. I'm going to say a tight. UConn victory, two or three points. Yeah, I mean, just because just because we're, we're UConn guys, I guess I'll give them the edge and I'll say they win, but I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of people, if, if, if people were betting, I would uh, say that the the people would be betting heavy on, on USC to win this game. I, I don't know. I, I it, It's probably going to be a close game. What is Ken Palm? Ken Palm's got it pretty close, I think, the last time I checked it. Yeah, they have right now they have a one-point uh, USC victory. All right, so I mean – I guess I guess it wouldn't be too far fetched to say UConn wins in a tight one. So I, I guess I'll go with you there. And you were talked about the guards. That's not the concern for me with UConn this year. I I feel like we can go up against any team in the country with our guards. I mean, I think we have uh, just great depth at guard, and I think we have very solid talent to go up against anybody. Our guards and wings are our our crop of of group of them is as good as any in the country. I feel very confident about that. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. So I guess. We're done with USC. We'll go look ahead to the NC State, the one-off game, because we we obviously we lost the second game in the Legends Classic or Showcase, whatever they're calling it now. So NC State, Saturday noon from Mohegan. What do you think about them? All right, UConn fans, if they remember from the Kevin last year of the Kevin Ali era, there was a player that was transferring from Utah who was friends with Jalen Adams and Vance Jackson that a lot of UConn fans wanted, and he was rumored to be interested in UConn and. He didn't end up choosing UConn. He ended up choosing Kevin Keats and NC State, and he happens to now be their best player. His name is Devin Daniels. Devin Daniels averages 18 points per game, seven rebounds, and shoots about 55% from three. And he is a very talented wing that I think could give UConn some trouble. But at the same time, they don't have a ton of talent around him. I think it's to this point, he's been a like their one main force. Um, NC State plays 11 guys so far. They've gone pretty deep into their bench, more similar to UConn. But Daniels is the main focus, and Daniels is the guy I think we have to shut down if we want to be NC State. Yeah, just looking at it over, I mean, I think Daniels is going to give them fits. But overall, I'm just looking at some of these other guys. I I don't. I, I don't see – I, I think this is an easier game for UConn to win compared to USC. I, I don't think they have the size advantage like USC does. Obviously, they got a couple guys that got 6'10", 6'11", uh, from Bates and, and Funderburk. But Funderburk. But uh, other than that, I, I don't I, – I don't know. This game just seems like it's going to be an easier, an easier path to victory for UConn. I think – you know, Daniels versus Book Knight or against Cole. I, I think that there's that we have like an answer to that. Whereas in the USC games, I don't know if we have an answer down low with the big men. So 
I, I, I like UConn a lot in this game, and I, I would think they win this game. And I think, you know, Ken Palm has them as a one-point favorite, I think, or they're going to be a one-point winner. Yeah. I think they have a better chance of winning this game, and I think they could actually maybe do something crazy. Maybe they can win by eight or ten points in this game. That's just my personal opinion, though. I think this game, we have, UConn has a better chance to win than the USC game. I think we match up better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm predicting a UConn victory against NC State, but I feel much more confident about that prediction than I do against, about my USC prediction. All right, so obviously UConn's got two games this week, so it gives UConn fans something to look forward to today. So we'll stop right here at the podcast, and uh, hopefully, as always, everyone's staying safe in these crazy times. Hopefully everyone had a great Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Go Huskies. Go Huskies.